Elwood City Limits supports those who are protesting and fighting against the systemic oppression and murder of black people by police. Please consider donating to your local black-led organizations or to bailout funds for protesters. Educate yourself and get involved where you can. Black Lives Matter. All right, Lucas, you're back at it again. I've got a couple more lightning round questions for you. Are you ready? Oh my goodness, I'm going to get struck by lightning twice. I, I can't believe it. i got to put down these metal rods that I keep carrying around. I, I, this is becoming an habitual problem for me. Um, but I suppose uh, it's my duty to pass through the lightning, lightning round. So hit me with the business, Will. Let, 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 let me have it. All right, so which Arthur pet would you want to own? That's from Michaela. Ooh, I think I saw this question come in, um, and I had a lot of time to think about it. I And, and, and actually, I listened to the episode, Will, uh, or at least ah. the, 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 the portion where you were asked this, and, and I think you had the correct guess, which is um, Nemo all the way. Ah, I thought so. You, see, you're, you I mean, you, you do own a dog, but you also have the vibe of a cat person. That's so. true. Cat and, person, uh, yeah. Dog person in the streets, <laughs> cat person in the sheets, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and this one's from Funis. Are there any fan projects you like? Now, in the episode, we were talking about fan projects. Like uh, we, like I mentioned, uh, Dragon Ball Z abridged or uh, Yu-Gi-Oh uh, abridged, that kind of stuff. Any fan projects that you can think of that you've been a fan of? Ooh. Hmm. Oh, man. There's, de- there's definitely some. I feel like they all kind of never pan out just because they're so kind of um uh uh this isn't a very lightning round answer but they're so kind of uh uh what's it called when you're overreaching they're they're ambitious uh i remember when i was a kid i used to follow there was a project called metroid prime 2d where someone was trying to remake metroid prime to be like metroid fusion but using uh game maker uh and that oh wow that well it never really panned out they made like a room they like had developed like a movement engine but the never much more than that um what other fan projects um you know fan translation projects are a big one for me um there's a lot of games i wouldn't be able to play unless there was sort of a fan project so like things like mother three um a game called sega gaga uh uh, all those old uh, japanese fire pro games um Mm -hmm. those are kind of things that are only accessible via fan projects uh, also, Mugen, Mugen and 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 yeah, uh, uh, yeah. all of Salty Bet uh, are, <laughs> is is worth noting. <laughs> right on. All right, there's the lightning round. And Lucas, it's good to have you back here on Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast for the start of a brand new season. And it's it's a this is a jam packed episode. We've got a lot to talk about. Of course, my name's Will Young, and I I couldn't start I couldn't start the new season without without you, Lucas. It's it's a new season, a new era. Happy anniversary. It's not quite an ECL anniversary. I don't know when. Do we know what month ECL started in? I feel like it was the fall. It was August, actually. It was okay. So we're coming up on the ECL anniversary. So a uh, an early anniversary present. We're going to be talking about this episode of Arthur, the Happy Anniversary it, episode. I remember because it's a couple weeks before my birthday, and on this 
anniversary of Arthur, we can talk about something that is, I think it's a little bit old news now. I feel like this was either last week or the week before, but this most recent season of Arthur has been nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Children's Animated Program. Arthur's like to the, what Kanye West is to the Grammys, Arthur be to the Emmys. I, I feel like... Does Arthur have the most children's enemies? Enemies. Definitely has a lot of enemies. <laughs> the most children's enemies. Uh, the most the most children's en- Emmys of any show. I I would assume it's either that or like Ses- Sesame Street might have more. I my, yeah my guess would my guess would be Sesame Street, but you, that's a good question. I actually didn't. So I feel uh, like it's been I, cleaning I didn't up. That up. I mean, it's it's in consideration a lot. Um, so programs with multiple awards. I'm looking. This is the primetime Emmys. Uh, so yeah, Sesame Street has ten awards for the primetime Emmy for outstanding children's program. Okay, makes sense. So they they are kind of unbeatable. Um, and then there's a bunch for like Wizards of Waverly Place has three. So that's a, <laughs> how about that? Not a good show. <laughs> listen, and that's not me. Listen, that's not me disparaging. You know, Disney programming, Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, fantastic show. Uh, Wizards of Waverly Place, not so much. That show's pretty bad. <laughs> um, I I think I sh- I think I should. Uh, I, okay, so I should. I, I I need to make this clear. This is the daytime Emmy Award, not the primetime Emmy Award. Ooh. And well, Lucas, would you look at that? You were right. Uh, so excuse me for having my facts incorrect here. Arthur has the most. Daytime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Children's Animated Program. It's tied. Lucas, what what program do you think it's tied with? Daytime Children's Program? Yes. Now, I'll, mm. I'll give you a hint. It's an older program. Not not too old, but it is older than Arthur. I, I, don't, I don't think you're going to guess this. Is it animated? Yes. It's animated, you say? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh gosh, jeez, I have no idea. The Muppet Babies. <laughs> what? That's yeah, just, really? That's, the, that's just that, that's like the Academy, that's like when people in the Academy haven't actually watched the show and they're just like, oh, uh, when they're looking at the animated, that's how like Boss Baby, and it's not just because it has baby in the name as well, that's how things like Boss Baby get an- nominated for Oscars. Is is people were like, listen, the Sesame Street's great, so obviously the Muppet Baby shows were definitely good as well. Dude, this this entire Wikipedia article that I'm citing here, it's like the first the Muppet Baby swept the awards the first four years, and it was just broken up by the New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh at the end of the eighties. Hell and then, yeah! You know what though? Fine. Yeah. What a way to topple the king, because the <laughs> New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh slaps. Uh, I also we finished I, I also, Kingdom Hearts one. Will the other the other day? Oh my uh, god! Kingdom Hearts update for all the fans who've been waiting to check back in. Uh, Kingdom Hearts one, very bad video game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can you can uh, pretty much watch a YouTube video that has all the cutscenes from the start. You don't even need to do all the cutscenes from the game. All the cutscenes from the start of the game and all the cutscenes from the end of the game. Uh, and, and you know what? They also kind of sub that up. We started Kingdom Hearts 2. They sub that up in the start of Kingdom Hearts 2. There's really, literally, no reason to play Kingdom Hearts 1, except, except when you get to roll up on Winnie the Pooh, and Sora has to talk to Winnie and his friends, and you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. I love those parts. They're so, they're like a warm hug. It's the best part. Uh, I, uh but yeah, so what... that that's, that's what New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh reminded me of, is... We're done with the scourge that is Kingdom Hearts 1. On to Kingdom Hearts 2. 
It does. It does get better in some senses from there. I also, also, I'm going insane that by the fact that Pinky Elmira and the Brain won the best the Daytime Emmy Award in 2000. Who, who was at the switch for that one? But, but back to Arthur here. So Arthur, the last time that it won the Daytime Emmy for Outstanding Children's Animated Program was in 2007. The last time it was nominated was 2015. So it's been a couple of years before Arthur has had a kick at the can, and it's up against some pretty stiff competition, as I understand it. I'm not super up on a lot of cartoons these days, but it's up against shows like Craig of the Creek, which I've heard really good things about as someone who, Uh, so a lot of these shows will a little bit of background about me. I travel a lot, not so much since COVID started, but I travel a lot for my job. Uh, and a lot of my time is spent, uh, hanging out in rural motel rooms. And the only thing that you get to do in rural motel rooms that you don't get to do at home is that they have, uh, uh, cable, uh, and sometimes mm. Cartoon Network, believe it or not, especially when you're throughout Sick. like New Brunswick, closer to Quebec and stuff. So I end up that's like what I end up watching when I'm um, traveling around. So I've actually seen a lot of these shows just by having like Cartoon Network on in my ho- my motel rooms all the time. Uh, and okay. Craig, of the, Craig of the Creek is one of those those shows that I regularly watch. That show rules, rocks. I've heard great things, and uh, th- let me just run down the rest of the competition here. The Dragon Prince, uh, The Loud House, Nico and the Sword of Light, and Trolls, The Beat Goes On. Most of these I've heard in one form or another. Like, I have friends who really like The Dragon Prince. Oh, I've yeah, people, people stand The Dragon Prince, I've heard. Yeah. So it's stiff competition, but this is, you know, we're nominating the season uh, with Mr. Rapper and the Special Somebody, so... Uh, best of luck to Arthur. Let's uh, let's hope for another win, and that can uh, bring them out of the tie and leave Muppet Babies in the dust, where it belongs. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's head over now to some new emails that that uh, you and I haven't looked at yet. That's over at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. A quick one here from Funeth who was re-listening to our previous episodes, and when they got to the half-bake sale, I got to thinking deeper on the show's take on cooking. Personally, growing up, I never liked most dishes either my grandmother, mother, aunts, uncles made, but everyone else in my family liked, and conversely, most of them didn't like the Tex-Mex I generally preferred over traditional Mexican dishes. When it comes down to is maybe taste is subjective. Despite what Grandma Thor put into the cookies, it didn't stop Buster from wholeheartedly enjoying them. As a guy who spent years detesting sushi, steak, and other stuff like that, there have been occasions where I've actually tried those dishes in different locations and found them delicious. If you don't like a certain food, maybe you haven't tried the one that works for you. People have different tastes. It was, I mean, if you remember that episode, it was a pretty hard line of like, yeah, Grandma Thora just straight up sucks at cooking. It's true. Some people just aren't good at cooking. It might not just be the particular dish. Um... That's interesting to think about, though. No sushi or steak. Weird. Well, well, yeah, my wife doesn't really like those either. Really? It's just, yeah, it's just, it's some, sometimes you get a taste for it and sometimes you don't. I suppose, I suppose. We Sushi's don't one of these things, one of the things I've, I've most often missed during said pandemic. Um, ah. it's, a, it's an old favorite of mine. Uh, we go now to former guest of the show, Viv, uh, who is talking about the episode Arthur Makes Waves. When I first watched it when I was little, I was surprised to learn that Molly, the big bad bully, is James's older sister. I think I was shocked. Uh, when the episode ended, I was confused, and I thought Arthur and Molly were back as enemies again and appeared to be okay with it, but it seems that's not the case. Today, while I was looking up the voice actress who plays Killer in the series... 
uh, on IMDb. Her name is Melissa Pereira. I discovered that she is the same voice actress who plays Arthur's cousin Monique. Remember her from season one? So Arthur's cousin Mo is who Viv is referencing. Oh yes, how could I forever get? It's it's funny of the season one episodes. Um, I, I that's one of those ones. The, the 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 family reunion episode is one that very much sticks in my mind. I don't know where we ranked them on our our individual lists. It'd be funny to go back and listen to those initial top fives because with, <laughs> with with kind of historical with with fresh eyes. That that Arthur's uh, 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 family reunion episode must be one of the season one ones we bring up the most often. Yeah, I mean, hey, if you're looking for uh, an Elwood City uh, Elwood City Limits episode to go back to, go back to some of our earlier episodes and see what we have to say about those ones. Uh, and Viv's recommendation for our For the Kids Patreon podcast is an episode from Miraculous Ladybug, which I've never heard of myself. But uh, if it's a PBS show, you can bet we will get around to it. Our next one is from Vanessa. Greetings from a fellow Canadian. Just happened upon the podcast a couple weeks ago, going through the backlogs of episodes. Uh, while listening to your take on the episode Misfortune Teller, Prunella's sister Rubella was describing the cootie catcher as coming from Transylvanian commuters of the Carpathian Mountains. I'm pretty sure this is supposed to mean gypsies, especially ones coming from the mountains of Romania, as I am of Romanian descent, and that's a common cultural stereotype there. Keep up the great job. That's from Vanessa. Yes, I'd say so, Vanessa. There was uh, less sensitivity toward those types of terms and to the to the Romani people in the nineties, especially like I watched the Hunchback of Notre Dame again recently, and every time they say the G word, it's a little it's a little a little weird. Yeah, no, I uh, uh, that's good, but I'm glad for them to write in. Thank you for that letter. Uh, yeah, I would have never always, known. Always thankful for. Uh, the many different views we get on here. This last one is from Jack, who just discovered the show last month. Got really excited when you mentioned in your Return of the King episode about maybe doing an episode riffing on Uh-Oh. I'm a big fan of the show, and I've watched nearly every episode, so I'd li- really like to hear, see you guys riff on it. Maybe someday. I mean, we, we'll have to put that in the queue behind Yvonne of the Yukon. Oh, right, yes. <laughs> if, you, if you listen to our Patreon, one, you know what that means. One, one disgusting Canadian show at a time. <laughs> <laughs> There's a YouTube channel called YTV Direct that has some episodes in full and another channel named Uh-Oh Game Show CA that has many episodes. I think I've gone there once or twice when I'm, like, drunk with my wife and just, like, let's watch some Uh-Oh. Yeah, I like watching I just... episodes that are, like, filmed in, like, St. John's or, like, as, as try to get mm-hmm. as close to here as possible. Sometimes, I don't think they ever filmed an episode of Uh-Oh here, but they definitely filmed, like, there's those middle segments of Uh-Oh where they're not in the studio set. They're in the, like, yeah. uh, uh, outdoors area, and they've definitely... I... Had parts in Halifax. I think that I think that they were in like Point Pleasant Park at one time, and I was like, "Oh man, I can't believe I missed it!" Like somehow I didn't know. It's like it, it's like um, I I also like to watch old episodes of Video and Arcade Top Ten, and some of them advertise like the Nintendo bus coming to your uh to your town, and I'm like, I hope I like I, if the Nintendo bus comes here and I miss it, I'm gonna I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go crazy. <laughs> Well, thanks, everybody, for the emails. It's great to hear from you. And thank you to everybody who has been responding to my call for emails from last week's episode. Uh, They are going to be put to good use. And the episode on uh, when Carl met George is probably going to be coming out closer to the end of the month. Stay tuned. And if you have any more... uh, 
Uh, if you have any more feedback to send our way, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com is a great way to do that. All right, one last thing. Before we get into the start of Season 10, we got to say thanks to the people who make it all happen. And uh, we want to thank our patrons, including people like Aaron DeFilippo, Andrew Power, Caitlin Harrington, Shandra lefave Boten, Christine Lascody, Christine Wong, Sierra S., Dan Mike Dawson-Silva, E.J. Acra, Emily K., Froppy, Greg Hagai, Ian Collis, Jake Bailey, Joe Sue, John DeLong and John Griswold, Josias Melendez, Kat, Kaylin Krogo, Kevin Noon, Kristen, Leanne S, Light Relentless, Lily Warden, Lion Dog ZXA, Macy Ball, Marla Stanfield, Matt, Melissa Avales, Michaela Gibson, Pretty Cool Stairs, Rachel Pearson, Riley Stevens, Shayna Bennett, Shelby Eden Dawkins Law, Stella Teresa William, and Yoshi. Thank you everybody for keeping up your patronage during these tough times. We really do appreciate it, and we will have more Patreon content coming for you very soon. Arthur season 10, Lucas. 10 years of Arthur. 10 years. 10 big ones. I can't season believe ten. it. I mean, we're finally into the double digits. It only took four years. Yeah. But we made it to the double digits. <laughs> That's true. Still not on a flash animation. Um, you know, I guess we should got to get all the obvious jokes out of the way, right? Oh, 10 years. This guy's still in third grade. What's going on? What did DW stole for? Oh, oh. it looks ex- looks exactly the same. What are we talking about? What are we talking about here? Shouldn't this guy Arthur be using a cell phone? And all that and all that jazz. So, a couple of facts about season ten. It's a little bit of a quieter one, despite being the tenth the the anniversary of Arthur. The season originally aired from May fifteenth to the twenty sixth in two thousand six. It's the third season of the show where the episodes aired over the course of one month, along with season four and season seven. Some of the other seasons were like staggered out to several months, but these were all in like basically the space of what eleven days. So they really got him out there quickly. It is, of course, the 10th anniversary of the show and the 30th anniversary of the book series. Oh, what? And 30? So the book series 20 years predates the TV show? Yes. Oh, wow. I, yeah. And uh, if you look in the background of some episodes, there was, at the time of this season's airing, they had what they called the Crazy Tens Scavenger Hunt. So look for hidden tens in the episodes of this season. And I don't know. <laughs> the Crazy Tens sounds like like a, a roving street gang from like Mad Max or something. Like you got to watch out for the Crazy Tens. That's a that's a really good point, actually. They're, it they're, does. They, they, they only ride ten speed uh, city commuter bicycles. Ooh, yeah. Okay? And they're a roaming gang of bike messengers, the crazy tens. Okay, original content. Don't steal. Don't steal. We'll know if you steal it. And this is the very first episode of season ten. It is a double episode, so we're just talking about one story, simply called Happy Anniversary. And Lucas, it's all about perspective. That's the theme running through this one. In fact, it's perspective that they're learning about in a video in Ratburn's class, and we get, like, the f- the first lingering image of season 10 is this big, jeezly mosquito with bug eyes, and, oh my god, this is a nightmare. I was saying, already off to a great start with this season. We all know, another episode we reference all the time, uh, almost disproportionately, 
is the one with the uh, the lice, right? That's that's a yeah. that's a, a big important episode in the Elwood City Limits uh, canon, um, mm-hmm. and so what better way uh, to start a season than with kind of that louse-like micro imagery of a gross mosquito, and then like this whole thing is like very intriguing. Like we have the um, uh, the audio of the guy explaining what's going on. There's like a weird kind of distortion effect on the guy's voice to make it seem like an '80s educational documentary. Um, I really liked the way this this uh, whole section is, was put together. So I didn't really know what to think. I thought it was, you know, they they often do these kind of, you know, well, microscopic pull-ins to the to the show. But I wasn't sure where they exactly they were going with like perspective. Uh, by the end of the episode, they ended up kind of tying the theme together. Uh, I also kind of liked how everybody was like, wow, that was amazing. Play it again. And yeah, uh, this really... um, Buster's like, play the video again. He's like stoked. <laughs> and uh, he also he also says, my great works have all been for nothing. Because he sees now that every he is just but a mosquito to the to the uh, the ends of the world. So him winning first place in the hot dog eating contest, oh yeah, and saving the cat uh, are not as great as he thought that they were. Uh, just my great works have all been for nothing. Great line. Uh, so they have to essentially do a paper over the weekend on um, perspective and their take on what exactly that means. Uh, so Buster and Arthur are getting ready for a big episode of, well, it's, a, it's like a, it's like a crossover episode between Bionic Bunny and Dark Bunny. By the way, when they leave the school, Prunella's talking to Rattles? That's a little weird. Um, yeah, so it's a Bionic Bunny, Dark Bunny crossover where all will be revealed. That's the big tagline. That's a good one. You gotta have a tag, you gotta have a no, tagline and, and, and they, and then, and then Arthur and Buster kind of repeat that mantra throughout the episode that all will be revealed, which is pretty funny because it's not like Bionic Bunny has had really a running secret or anything. It's not lost. Like Bionic Bunny's just Superman. We're waiting for him to save people. What is this, this big mystery? But because Arthur and Buster just repeat all will be revealed throughout the episode, you start to wonder, you're like, okay, well, what's it going to be then? Uh, I mean, I, I, I forget. It might have been a combination of, like, maybe seeing part of this episode before, but I was like, gee, I wonder what it could be. But they also have a, a Bionic Bunny handshake that we've never seen before. It's very involved. This seems new. Like, I feel like there was a Bionic Bunny handshake before, but this one has, like, stages to it, and it even has, like, a like a passphrase. I swear on the rabbit ears of Nishkuma. Yeah, is that, like, Bionic Bunny's home planet? What is Nishkuma? I don't know. I, I get midi chlorian vibes off of that. It's like we didn't need to add like planet names to Bionic Bunny. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, I guess I guess he's a Superman analog. So this is like in the '90s. Like, was there an elect like a red and blue Bionic Bunny with like electricity powers or something? Or Bionic Bunny gets a mullet? Ooh, now we're talking. Just seems a little regrettable. Uh, so they're going to be doing a sleepover on the weekend to watch the episode. And also over, over uh, this weekend, it is Mom and Dad Reads' 10th anniversary. Now, this was a bit of a surprise. I, I, I mean, I, I guess it was and it wasn't. You know what I mean? Like, to put a number on how long Mom and Dad have been married, and 10 doesn't seem that long. How old is Arthur? guess longer. So Arthur's eight, which means that okay, he would okay. they would have they would have had him two two years into their marriage, which means 
Uh, I'm trying to imagine if I had Arthur next year, because next year, Jenna and I will be married for two years. So it's like, we started having kids around then. I guess... Kind, kind, kind of makes sense. I, 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 I guess, yeah. I'm starting to get to be that age where, like, me and and like my friends are are the age that my parents were when they're either like had us or or met one another. Um, right. Like my mom and my dad met when they were my age right now, 25. Um, okay. So uh, I I guess it makes sense. Um, what I want to know is how old Dave and Jane were when they got married. I I, I know that they never. Ooh. I don't think they ever reveal their age, but I'm just really curious about that. Uh, so Arthur and DW have thoughtfully put together a gift for uh, for uh, their anniversary, but DW gets gets ten and tin confused because she she says it's their tin anniversary and she has something she has a portrait of the two of them and her on a pie plate but Arthur's like well that's not made of tin that's made of whatever whatever pie plates are made of not tin uh, is it aluminum is this where she gets the aluminum thing from uh al- yeah aluminum or a- alumanum Alun, I, I try to write it out phonetically the way DW says it. Aluminum, I think. Alu, yeah, aluminum or something like that. Um, so that's kind of her through line for the episode. She's trying to find something tin to give to them. Uh, and mom and dad's plan is to go to a restaurant called Robert's d'Aubergine, which aubergine in fr- in French is eggplant. It's just a, and they're gonna have the duck à l'orange. Ooh, the orange duck. I've never had duck à l'orange. I I would be curious to try. Duck is good. Yeah, I know. But, my uh, my ducks, the ducks I've consumed have been distinctly non-orange. So, um well, and see, I guess that again, I guess I'm just a pleb, but I can't I get I I don't know where where you where the l'orange comes from. Is it like a is it like a cream? Is it do you duck stuff the duck with orange? La orange. Oh, okay. So it seems like it's an orange sauce. So, I don't know. Orange, I always find to be like I I associate orange stuff with desserts, like you know, creamsicles or orange candy and stuff like that. I don't know if I want a fruit flavor in my duck. I'd be willing to try it, but I'm just a little skeptical. Huh? I guess it's like not. It's like people don't really be having this anymore. According mm-hmm. to Epicurious.com, uh, a trusted okay. source. They say, mm-hmm. uh, until recently, this is kind of their, like, trying to bring Duck à l'orange back, was a tired cliche of the 60s. So I think it's one of those, like, 60s meals. Like, you know, you see those pictures of, like, um, ads for, like, this, the, I was almost swore because it's just so foul. The the crap that people <laughs> were eating in the 60s where it's just, like, gelatin steak and all that, like, really, Ugh. like, listen, usually I'm, like, the guy who will eat anything on this show, but, like, so the, all right. that 60s stuff is so nasty. Um, <laughs> so that, so 60s food is what Lucas wouldn't eat. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Those gelatin things are so gross, man. Uh <sighs> Yeah. The, uh, by the way, by the way, patrons, if you saw the video that went up over the weekend, I will not be making duck à l'orange anytime soon. That is beyond <laughs> my powers. I was barely able to put together cheesies and olives. So, how you know, how were the to, cheesies and olives? Oh, I, I can't I can't say uh, can't say here. Oh yeah yeah yeah. You have, I, to, true, you have to watch the video to know that. It's true. I have to watch the video. I have to subscribe to the Patreon. I I'm so sorry, Will. <laughs> 
All right. So Arthur and Buster are going to be working on their pers- on their perspective essay before the uh, before the TV show. Uh, DW also tries to get uh, some tin from the Tibble twins. The closest they have is like a tin soldier. So she barters her Mary Moo Cow doll for this tin soldier, which according to Brain later could be actually worth quite a bit of money, although it's not made out of tin. All three of the Tibbles toys here are like worth noting. Like they have a tugboat that's got a pig face. Um, okay. They have that tin soldier who looks like he's from like the Revolutionary War era. Um, what else? What is the third one? There's like three toys that are ruining. Oh, and they have a a, a Stegosaur, not a Stegosaurus. Uh, what is the what is the one with the long a Brontosaurus? Um, that they're all just mm. completely ruining in this pool. Uh. And so, yeah, so Buster and Arthur are working on their perspective essay, and Buster's idea is that he's going to bring in basically a a Swiss cheese sandwich, and Arthur's like, you're going to hand in a sandwich? But the idea is like, you know, if I were an ant, then this would be a a feast fit for a king. Buster has a pretty pretty good point here. So Buster's talking about, like, in perspective, both in the sense of scale and size, but also in the sense that, like, he's not only just the ant thing, but he also talks about, like, if he was starving, like, if he hadn't eaten in two weeks, then he would be elated to get the sandwich with no mayo and just one slice of Swiss cheese. That's right. Um, it is a it is a, it is a rather dry sandwich. Oh yeah. Um, all right. Well, Will, I gotta know the mm. the the plain bed with the plain bread with one slice of Swiss cheese. Does Will eat it or does he not? Oh, I've had sandwiches that were barer than that. Of course, I would. Wait, wait, barer? Yeah. How could it be barer than no condiments and white item in between the bread? That's just two pieces of bread you're eating. I think, my friend. Well, I feel, I feel like I've said this on the show before, but <laughs> it's funny. Uh, my wife and I were talking recently about how, like, there were some things that our parents made us that were, like, literally the easiest things to make a kid. But to us, they were – like, you know how sometimes when you would go to, like, a barbecue and you get a hot dog and on the side you'd have chips and you'd be like, I get to eat chips for lunch? Yeah, 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 This yeah, is yeah. amazing. For all our American, just, for all our American listeners – the, the chips with the sandwich thing is not a thing here. Like, people don't eat chips with the sandwich all the time. So, like, yeah. um, um, the chips with the hot dog uh, at a barbecue was so, yeah, I, I totally agree, uh, Will. So, one of my favorite things that my mom used to make for me was butter sandwiches. Oh. So, they're, just to be clear for those listening at home, not toast. For for toast has been toasted. Mm-hmm. You were taking two pieces of was this white bread, Will? White bread. Be real with me here. Now, okay. Final question, and then I'll let you go yep. on this one. Or I, I suppose it's your mom's fault, not you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wasn't making uh, butter sandwiches. Butter? Or or was it margarine, Will? Was it was it actually butter in the butter sandwiches? I don't I don't know if I can answer that accurately. I'd have to ask my mother. Okay, that's um, listeners, tune in next episode. We're going to figure out if Will was it even cuz I think a butter sandwich is above uh, in, in terms of if you were going to get into like what is the most bunk sandwich you could conceivably have. I feel like Z <laughs> Z tier is two pieces of uncooked bread with nothing. And then just above Z tier is a margarine sandwich, and then above that is butter sandwich. So stay tuned, I, I, dear listeners. 
Yeah, I'll text my mother and say what was in the butter sandwiches you used to make me. <laughs> if I had if I had to guess, I think we were a big Basel family, a big margarine family. Okay, and that's my suspicion as well. I bet you weren't just eating a slab of butter. I bet it was not even butter on the butter sandwiches. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, it sounds like, like, I, I, I did, I was... You're really, you're really torn up about this. Well, I just, you know, I also had proper food as a child. <laughs> you, look at me today, I was not underfed. Oh. But it's just sometimes, sometimes I would ask for butter sandwiches, and butter sandwiches I would get. Listen, well, you're preaching to the choir. Everybody has their proclivities. When I was a kid, my parents didn't have any sweets in the house. And so uh-huh. I would just climb up to the top drawer and eat sugar right out of the sugar for the coffee with a spoon. Whoa! This is what I you get. Am- this is why harm reduction is important, right? You got to give me a few sweets uh, I, because otherwise I'm just going to free base sugar. <laughs> I can't imagine what little Lucas on raw sugar yeah, it must have been there's like. There's a reason I am the way I am today. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Arthur is busy racking his brain, trying to find an angle for this perspective essay. Uh, and there's hours to go before the Bionic Bunny special. So he falls asleep and he has a nightmare that this, and this is a real nightmare. He's being chased by the giant mosquito. Like, I don't, I do not want that thing near me with its big evil eyes. Uh, and they're, for some reason they're on like the, they're on like the neck of somebody who's suntanning. And I was like, this is a little... This is this is a, this is a take. This is, a, I, I wrote, this is an image. I wrote down. Uh, this is like really high concept for the first episode of the season. Like I was expecting. Okay, it's like tenth anniversary. Maybe it's gonna be like a look back at like the Elwood City community. Maybe it's like oh uh, anniversaries. I, I thought it was gonna be some kind of sentimental thing about about ten years or, or what have you. Um, mm. This weird perspective perspective angle and then busters arthur's having this like mosquito dream i was like what an interesting angle for the first episode of the 10th season well even when they do kind of get you know have their own perspective on things like with um the new year's episode in the first season when they do kind of like look back on things they always put manage to put a creative spin on it they're not just doing like a, a simpsons uh, clip show. They're do- they're always doing something a little different. So then Buster comes by in the Formaggio Falcon, which is his cheese sandwich that he's riding, essentially like the Fantastic Car or something. And it also ha- it also comes with a sweet guitar riff. Uh, and he shoots uh, slices of cheese at the mosquito uh, as they fly into this person's nose. Like I said, so a high like, concept, right? Like this is, I was riveted. Well, and- well, and it continues from there because they're attacked by a folded up piece of paper that is in this person's nose for some reason. And it's actually the essay that Arthur was working on. Like, it's very, very stream of conscious. In, and, I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like, wow, that's these certainly are ideas. So, I mean, yeah, kudos to them doing something a little bit off the beaten path. Um, so Arthur is still having trouble with his essay. So everybody's kind of going together in, in the end here. Uh, mom and dad are going to drop off DW at grandma Thora's and they're going to drop Arthur at Buster's and they're going to go for their dinner. But right as they're about to go out the door, who calls them? But grandpa Dave, grandpa Dave, it's been a minute. 
It has been. And the last time we saw him, I think it was like that episode where he is like forgetting stuff and getting old. So this is like, okay, cool. Grandpa Dave just gets to be fun. Grandpa Dave. Well, and, uh, he... not so fun. Well, cause grandpa yeah. Dave, I saw this coming a mile away already. I was stressed out about the concept of having to, uh, drop off Arthur and DW and, and make it to this reservation on time. And then of course, grandpa Dave has that phone call, which you never want to receive. Which was, mm-hmm. guess where I'm calling from? <laughs> right down the street. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so his Grandpa car, Dave is it? Grandpa Dave gets CAA challenge. Or, totally. or for our American listeners, AAA. Yes, that's that's right. Right, I forget it's different over there. So yeah, Grandpa needs a lift to his like fireman's charity ball that he's that he's doing or that he's a part of in some way. So they're going to use the catering van and drop him off and then do the whole, all of the rounds. And this, this I found was interesting. We, we rarely, if ever have grandpa Dave and grandma Thora share a scene together. It's true. This was, this was interesting to see also the layout of the catering van. We don't often spend that much time in the inside of the catering van. And it, it begs the question with all this ample seating, like where does all the cakes go? Well, I, I have to imagine that there's got to be something where they can, like, put more seats in. Mm, like, mm. maybe maybe it's an older model where you can, like, you know, take the physically take the seats out or put them under somewhere. They've got, they've got to be able to move them around. Uh, and unfortunately, the catering van breaks down as yeah. well, and they're stuck, da- in, the Dad mi- Reed, they're stuck Dad in the Reed, middle of nowhere. Dad Reed gets CAA challenge. The challenge continues. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh, that's, that's all you would need in this situation. So they're stuck. Everybody's stuck, and they're they've all got time dependent things that they want to do, and uh, that's that's the big kind of dilemma for the middle of the episode. Uh, so Dad, Arthur, and D.W. are going to go to a nearby cafe or diner, I should say. It's called the Ten Spot Diner, and they're going to try and uh, call somebody to give them a jump or give them help. Arthur briefly brings out an outfit he was going to wear. Uh, at Buster's, they're both going to like dress as like minor characters, and he was going to p- play a character called Laser Nostril. So he has this cool like like band that he puts around his head, and it's like got flashlights attached. It's actually pretty complex for an elementary school kid's costume. I yeah, I mean, cool is relative, I suppose. Uh, it's, I mean, it it's, it's, no, it, from... does, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't look. Cool. No, it is cool that he was able to put that together himself. Um, yes. that would constrict my breathing and be uncomfortable on my nose, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. Does it, yeah, it's, this is a one-time use kind of thing. You know, if there's a 10-spot uh, diner, do you think there's a cool spot diner? You know, <laughs> named after the Super Nintendo game Cool Spot, where you play as yeah, the, the, the dot from the 7-Up logo? Yes, um, I, uh, you know, <laughs> Maybe, you know what? That seems like the kind of thing that might be online. That might be the name of somebody's, like, Discord server. What about the Pepsi fact, Man might... Diner? Now, now, we're, name... now we're just talking about what if we na- started naming things after mascots of early of, of late 90s uh, uh, promotional video games. I guess there, well, there's gonna... already a McKids Diner. There's just McDonald's. Um... <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel like there's probably, like, Pepsi-sponsored canteens or something like that. Surely. Yo-Noid, that's just Domino's. Or no, unfortunately, 7-Up does... Wait, what is the Noid the mascot of? Do- yeah, Domino's. Domino's? Okay, okay. See, I avoid yeah. him, so... 
I wouldn't know. As you sh- as you should, lest you, lest your pizza be taken into your own into your own hands. <laughs> So we uh, we get to the 10-spot diner, and there's this fella who's working there late after the place is closed. His name is Jay. Jay, throwaway he... character of the week, locked in, okay? Jay has, like, three lines this episode, and, uh, well, okay, spo- I don't want to spoil Jay's big break at, at near this episode, but uh, Jay, Jay's a king. Look at him. He's got one of those awful, like... D- old 50s diner like uniform caps where you got to wear like the weird sailor hat uh big mm-hmm. old stain on jay's apron um, <laughs> and it seems like jay's running the whole joint too like it seems like there's no waiters or cleaning staff or like kitchen staff it's just jay well yes and you know something else about jay i think this will cement him as the throwaway character of the week do you know who voiced him no i have no idea Jay is voiced by the original voice of Arthur, Michael Yarmish. No back way! Again. What? For the 10th anniversary? Oh, that's cool. And it's because yeah. Jay's like a pimply-faced teen. Makes sense. Michael Yarmish's yeah. voice drop. That's so nice. It's great. I love that tidbit. And you're right. Jay is such a bro. So what ends up happening is that DW and Arthur squabble over who gets to use a dime on the jukebox. This, is, this isn't going to make sense to anybody but the people, who our listeners who live here. But uh, that's me uh, fighting over the last loony to use the digital jukebox at the uh, Argyle Freemans. Okay? Catch me on, the, <laughs> catch me on Saturdays at the Argyle Freemans uh, trying to um, really troll the bar by bringing up like break stuff by Limp Biscuit on the digital jukebox or the X uh-huh. or the X files theme, or just like <laughs> whatever is the most annoying music I can think to subject the bar to. I'm like, Hey, I paid a loony for this. You such and such. <laughs> how dare you? Uh, but yeah, so, uh, DW and Arthur get themselves locked in. Essentially it look, I thought it was a freezer at first, but it's like a pantry and, uh, Jay, Jay to the rescue here. He he can't exactly get them unlocked, but he says that he's going to go drive to get his manager. Apparently, Mom says he drives hours away, like just on his own, and also offered them any food that they want in the diner. This guy's a hero. Oh, yeah. Jay is, dare I say, an essential worker. Um, also, yeah, big, uh, big time. I don't, it, it, there's no one who's not an essential worker if he isn't. Yeah, justice for Jay. I'm clapping for Jay. You know what I mean? As an essential worker. But yeah, Arthur and NDW, they get locked in the, in the freezer and Jay's like talking about like, oh, you're not going to be able to find a locksmith at this hour. Uh, so, but so he's gonna have to go and get his manager drive away. In the meantime, Arthur and DW or DW is like starts to freak out. She's like, "Hey, don't breathe so much air. Breathe through one nostril." And is this and Arthur continually having to calm her down. So he tries telling her a story. Uh, she already knows all the fairy tales. She tries to get him to. She tries to take her own stab at what she thinks might have happened in the Bionic Bunny Dark Bunny crossover. She thinks that they were separated at birth. One was taken by a witch and the other by a robot. And Arthur's like, no, there's no way it would be that. Don't be crazy. So what eventually happens is that DW kind of sits back on like a like a, a, a chair of uh, big rice. Um, what do you call them? Sacks? Sacks of rice. And 
they accidentally bump into a radio, which just so happens to be playing a serial, an old radio serial called Kid Carter, the crooning cowboy, and his sidekick, Mistral. Dude, this whole, like, it's funny watching this because this whole, like, aesthetic of the crooning cowboy, it's all the way back. It's very 2020. Um, you know, everybody's talking about Orville Peck. You know, everybody loves sad singing cowboys now. So mm-hmm. this is this was this was a, kind of a delight to see. Kid Carter, the crooning cowboy, or as I called it, Reed Dead Redemption. <laughs> so I was kind of I, I got it. I got to be honest. This far into the episode, I was a little bit like, yeah, this is okay. Like we'll kind of see what happens. Once it hit this, I was like. This is great. Like, I, my opinion turned around, and I almost wish more of the episode could be this, but the little bit we get of it, I really liked. So basically, it's Arthur as Kid Carter, and DW as his sidekick, Mistral, and they both are putting on their, like, southern cowboy accents, which I think is just great. It's, like, these little kids talking in their best cowboy twang. It's the best. So they ride into a town, and Mayor Mouse Sizzle? is played by Mr. Ratburn, and he's got the, like, he's got the Old West comb-over, he's got the the villain's mustache, and he's got the Tibble twins as, like, his his heavies, essentially. Yeah, no, this is, he's this to, is incredible. He's got, like, a plan to run Kid Carter out of town or whatever, and they kind of put the idea in Kid Carter's head that there's gold in a nearby mine shaft. And they do that when Kid Carter is part of the audience at a tonic salesman named Dusty Buckets, who is played by Buster. Buster is an Old West tonic salesman. Perfect. Great. 100%. I, I was all here for the, this whole dream sequence. We get Buster as the, tar- oh, tar- uh, the, the tonic salesman. The Tibbles are, like, fantastic. The Tibbles have, like, adapted this, like, drawl. Uh, the whole thing's f- wonderful. And then, of course, and then not to even mention, like, Arthur as the crooning cowboy himself, the titular crooning cowboy. Yeah, and he even, he even gets to he even gets to yodel a little bit, oh, which I Arthur's thought was song, unexpected. Arthur's song completely rips. We're stuck in a <laughs> mine. Get Little Nas X on that remix. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, so they go into that mine, and the Tibbles cave them in. It turns out the gold was actually, like, rocks just painted gold. So they're trying the they're trying to figure out how they're gonna get out, and that's where the ep- and that's where the serial episode ends. They're just like tune in next time to see how Kid Carter, the crooning cowboy, gets out of this one. So they almost had it, and eventually they f- they kind of get their way out of this. I've been playing a lot of Dying Light, so they basically just do a lockpick mini game. <laughs> And uh, just kind of logic their way out of it. See, if this was Kingdom Hearts, they would be doing a Trinity will. Ah, yes. Uh, there would be a, 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 fun, a yellow... not annoying, not awful game mechanic. <laughs> finding, the, finding the colored Mickeys on the ground and pressing triangle? Yeah, the tiny, 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 awful-looking colored Mickey texture on the ground, and you got to press triangle. Such a great game mechanic, Will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So they do find their way out of the the pantry, and then ev- everybody's there, everybody who was there before. Now, it's not what anybody expected, but they all have themselves a good time. Dad Dad makes some uh, some dinner for everybody. It's a, as fancy a dinner as he can whip up on short notice. They get the jukebox going. Gram- Grandma Thora and Grandpa Dave have a little dance together. 
Oh. That was nice. Nice. A little bit kind of creepy <laughs> when you think about it. Oh, they're they're just they're just they're, they're like doing they're doing like the swing your partner round and round kind of thing. And mom and dad are dancing too. True. So it's all in good fun. I was thinking to myself, did Grandpa Dave and Grandma Thora have that nice of a time? <laughs> like I'm sure Grandpa Dave would have rather just gone to his ball. I don't know. I think they well, I think they all would have rather they, gone to they, their thing, but they they got to hang out with their family. That's what's important. But yeah, the, the, this is this is what ties it all together. This is where they bring the perspective theme back in full force because it cuts to an Arthur voiceover and it's him doing his report. And in fact, I wrote down the quote here because I feel like this is important for this for this year especially, and I think in general. So Arthur says, "For me." Perspective is realizing I'm part of something larger, like a family, a town, a country, a planet. And even though we all have our own plans, sometimes it's just good to be together. I thought that was great. I really liked that quote. And finally, Buster is going to present his sandwich, but has to wait until after lunch so he can get a new one, because he's eaten this one as well. So the end of the episode is Arthur hurriedly asking Buster what happened in the Bionic Bunny, Dark Bunny crossover special. And then he even says, what? Did it turn out that they were separated separated from birth? One was taken by a witch and one by a robot? And Buster's like, yeah, exactly that. How did you know? So DW's idea wasn't so far-fetched after all. <laughs> oh, that's funny, Eddie. You know, I feel like Arthur sometimes is resistant is resistant to kind of tying everything up in a neat little bow like this but for the mm. start of season 10 well i think it's a okay i think it's pretty strong too well let's uh, let's talk a little bit more in depth about happy anniversary lucas how did this one strike you i think that you know the thing about happy anniversary is whenever the arthur episodes get to be a full 24 minutes instead of two separate stories. I think they always make use of the extra time. All of those episodes always feel special. Um, there's the one where they they put on the play that's about Elwood City Limits. Elwood City, Elwood City Limits. Elwood City's history. I wish it was about yeah, us. Yeah, that would be <laughs> Will and Lucas met in the rural Nova Scotia. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, um, there's all those episodes kind of, they use the extra time to kind of take a deep dive um, and this episode goes in some interesting places. It's like kind of a bottle episode, kind of not. We get to see some characters we haven't seen in a while, like Grandpa Dave. We got the introduction of Jay. Two really fun dream sequences, which I'm glad that Arthur's bringing that back because it was one of my favorite parts of the early seasons. And with kind of the end of last season and the first episode of this one, we're seeing more of those creative dream sequences with sort of the, the um, what was it, the fromage falcon? The, uh, the, oh, uh, what was it? Uh, whatever that, the, the cheese spaceship was. The, the, yeah, then, the, and, the cheese ship. And then we got, of course, the crooning cowboy, which was definitely my highlight of the episode. Um, it, great sequence. Yeah, like you said earlier, if this was split up into two parts and we were doing it, judging it like we normally do, where it's like, okay, what did you think of the first part? What do you think of the second? The second part is absolutely, without a doubt, the stronger half of the episode. But because we take it as a whole, I, I think that it's a fitting beginning to season 10. And I think it's a creative way to kind of have a, a, an episode feel a little bit bigger. The big start of season 10 and, and a good way to kind of pay its due diligence to 10 years of Arthur. Um, now, I don't think it's exceptional. Uh, it's not especially knocking my socks off. But I had a lot of fun watching this episode. 
I was kind of skeptical about this one when it started off because I mean, not not just when it immediately started off uh, with the kind of mosquito thing, but I was like, okay, perspective and an anniversary, like where is this going? And it had all of these strange little dalliances, like the dream sequence and all that kind of stuff, which is like you know, in a sense, classic Arthur. Uh, so. I wasn't so much put off by it. I was just kind of like, so why are, how are we going to tie this up? And really, this has one of the stronger endings to an Arthur episode that I can remember. In fact, the ending, I mean, you said yourself the second half, uh, stronger than the first. The ending, the last five minutes, which includes the the cowboy sequence and Arthur's kind of tying everything up with a ribbon, is what really kind of sold this for me. I thought that that was terrific, very imaginative in the way that Arthur has always been, and a very prescient quote, which really, like I was watching that and listening to that quote, I was like, man, this is what I needed to hear right now. So I really appreciated that. I always like it when Arthur is just as good watching it at any point in your life. And so I think that they really came back around, and I'm excited to see what season 10 has to offer, because it's clear that watching this episode even when I think that, oh, I don't know about this Arthur episode, sometimes this show can still surprise me. So I'm happy to continue going along for the ride. And I certainly hope you all are going on the ride with us too. We've got uh, a lot of stuff coming up here in the pipeline as we get into Season 10 in in full, in earnest. And uh, we've also got some stuff happening on the Patreon as well. Lucas, next week on the Patreon, we're going to be talking about Wishbone, my friend. Oh, the legend, legendary dog wishbone. Can't wait to can't wait to uh, to kind of research more about that, find out more, and let you guys know about it. Of course, that's part of our For the Kids podcast series over on patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. And then when we get back to the ECL timeline, we're getting into uh, an episode that infe- that features the stories The Squirrels and Fern and Persimony Glitch It. The Fern episode will also feature some words from a special guest. Ooh. So you can look, for, look forward to that. I am very happy to be getting a Fern episode. I feel like it's been too long since we've done the last one, whenever that was. So, Lucas, once again, it's very good to, to, to hear from you again. Uh, and uh, I'm really looking forward to more ECL. And uh, glad to have you with us as always. And glad to have our listeners too so hopefully everybody is doing okay and uh we will continue bringing you uh this uh this podcast and in its many forms well my name is will young and for lucas mancini now i'm a speck of dust with homework on the weekend that's all with city limits and we'll see you next time